This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. Welcome in to In the Zone here on Sports Radio, 1150 KSAL, 106.7 as well on the FM dial. Jackson Schneider and James Westling with you as always. We've got a ton to talk about today. Basketball season officially kicks off. We've got K-State basketball on our airwaves. Literally as soon as our show ends, James, K-State hoops is on for the first time in the Jerome Tang era. So here in a little bit, we're going to discuss this K-State team just a little bit. Uh, But before we get into that, and before we get into some K-State football audio that we also have from Chris Kleiman today, it's it's the NFL trade deadline is upon us. And Adam Schefter, as well as basically every other NFL insider, has been very, very busy today. Um, So you want to just do like a rapid-fire headlines of all the trades that have been made? Because there's like six or seven. Yeah, there's so so many of them, and I'm struggling to keep them all straight. Really, the big one for me... Um, was Denver and Miami. So outside of that, you know, I know the Vikings and the Lions made a big trade. So we can do a little bit of headlines, but I, those are really the, the two that I would probably be the most knowledgeable about yeah. because it's the two biggest. Well, let's start there with the the Broncos then, of course. We've got a lot of Broncos fan listeners as, as an affiliate here. The uh, Broncos, in case you missed it, are trading outside linebacker Bradley Chubb to the Miami Dolphins for a package which includes 2023 first round pick uh, as well that the one that they acquired from the 49ers last year. Um, they're also sending running back Chase Edmonds and a fourth round pick in 2024 for Chubb as well as a 2025 fifth round pick. So the Broncos get not only a running back, which is clearly an area of need right now for them, but they also get a first round pick this year and a what was it a fourth round pick next year so that's pretty good stuff to give up a really good uh linebacker and a fifth rounder in two seasons so the broncos clearly making a move to try and flip the switch for what looks like now uh or at least not if not the immediate future like next season uh so i kind of interesting that they they would trade Bradley Chubb, but he's got uh, 26 tackles this season, five and a half sacks. He's forced two fumbles. Um, I don't know. I just, I was surprised that they elected to make this move, but it also makes sense. I I agree. I I think this is, like a lot of the trades today, uh, a trade that benefits both teams. Um, I I would agree that Denver not only got better. Well, they didn't necessarily get better today, but they definitely helped themselves for next year. I think it's a good trade. Uh, Let's look at it first from the Denver perspective. Bradley Chubb has been really beat up the last two seasons. He's having a solid year this year, but not a Pro Bowl worthy year. And his last full healthy season, he made the Pro Bowl and he was third in the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year voting the year he got drafted. And he's only 26. Those are the positives about Bradley Chubb. But he's also an edge rusher that hasn't played much the last 
two-plus seasons because of injuries. And Denver just drafted Nick Benito, uh, the outside linebacker from Oklahoma, who's having a solid rookie season. So I don't think it's a huge loss. I think they're getting back more value because of the position that they put themselves in by trading all their draft picks for Russell Wilson. They only have five draft picks coming up, and now they added a first-round pick. Their first draft pick, if the draft was today, uh, prior to this trade, would have been pick number 71. Okay, So now that they get a first-round pick, I think that helps them big time because you can go get a a plug-and-play guy. And then... And by the way, we should also add, it's actually it's San Francisco's pick. So yeah. Denver fans need San Francisco to either miss the playoffs so you can get like a top 15 pick, or if they make the playoffs, not go very deep. The last thing you want is San Francisco to go on a run and you end up with like pick 26 or something like that. Uh, Chase Edmonds is a running back that Miami had really high hopes for this year. He was their number one back coming into this season. Had a really good year in Arizona last year. Miami actually gave him in free agency a a pretty healthy contract, but it just didn't pan out for one reason or another. I just don't think he's a great fit for that offense. And he's kind of a pass-catching back that's a lot like Javante uh, Williams. So he's a guy that can help Denver right away because they need help at, at tailback. So I think it works out for Denver and for Miami. Their biggest Achilles heel right now is their defense. And they're really banged up in the secondary, but they have guys that don't have season-ending injuries. They have guys that should be back. And now when you add a guy that can get after the quarterback, like Bradley Chubb, uh, it really helps their defense and and makes them a lot better, I think, right now. The Dolphins... On pressuring quarterbacks, they've they've only pressured opposing quarterbacks 22% of their dropbacks this season, which is the fourth lowest rate in the NFL, according to ESPN Stats and Information. Uh, they have 15 sacks in eight games, but this is a big-time addition because Chubb may only have five-and-a-half sacks right now. And I say may uh, only, which that's pretty good, to be fair. Um, And that's tied for the lead on the Broncos. But he's got 26 in his career, and he's played almost 50 games with the Broncos. Uh, But to talk about the the Chase Edmonds situation, he just definitely was not a fit for what they wanted, like a downhill north-south kind of runner. And to address that, the Dolphins also made a separate move with the 49ers and got Jeff Wilson, who was basically just sat on the back burner in San Francisco when they got Christian McCaffrey. So everybody wins in what turned out to be basically a three-way deal, um, which is pretty weird how that worked out. But that was probably the most significant trade for our local area. But the other big trade that was... Real quick, before we talk about the other one, I want to bring this up to you because I think you'll like this. Think back to the year that the 49ers drafted Trey Lance. They traded with Miami to move up. Here are the three picks that the Miami Dolphins got for essentially giving the 49ers the spot to go take Trey Lance. The 21 draft pick, they packaged to trade up and get Jalen Waddell. The 2022 pick, they sent to the Chiefs for Tyreek Hill. And this most recent pick they sent to the Broncos for Bradley Chubb. The Dolphins essentially got Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill, and Bradley Chubb for what they gave up for the 49ers to go get Trey Lance. Talk about a haul. That is brilliant. That is Brett Veach-level stuff (laughs) from Miami. That works out pretty good, I would say. Uh, I didn't even realize that all of those dots connected until you just said it. But, geez. Um, What was I going to say, though? 
Oh, the other the next trade. trade. Yep. The other trade, yeah. Uh, the Detroit Lions made a trade, which surprised me because one of their best players on that roster is their tight end, TJ Hawkinson. But they traded TJ Hawkinson, but not only, not only did they trade him, they traded him to a divisional opponent, the Minnesota Vikings. So the Lions get a 2023 second-round pick and a 2024 third-round pick, while the Vikings get a fourth-round pick in 2023 and a conditional 2024 fourth-round pick and TJ Hawkinson. This seems like an overwhelming victory for the Vikings because the Vikings need a tight end right now because Irv Smith just got put on IR this morning. So that was probably an anticipatory trade knowing that he was probably out for at least the next six to seven weeks and possibly the rest of the season. Uh, But they they get draft picks and a really good tight end for a team that's in first place in a division that is really down this year in the NFC North because the Bears stink, the Lions stink, the Packers apparently stink, and the Vikings are 6-1 and one or 7-1 and one or whatever they are after Sunday. So this is a huge win for a 25-year-old tight end who's probably like the second tier, like outside of, of George Kittle and, and uh, Travis Kelsey, you're looking at TJ Hawkinson as like being a big time receiving tight end. He's got 26 catches for almost 400 yards and three touchdowns this season. Um, and again, he goes from a one and six team to now a six and one team, uh, which is a pretty big jump for him. And as I mentioned, Herb Smith it suffered an ankle injury, so he's on IR. So that's his job. Like from day one he may it may take him a week or so to really get like fit into that offense but that's a huge win for for the Vikings and probably for TJ Hawkinson just for being on a winning team yeah for sure and the Lions I don't think that they missed on TJ Hawkinson remember they took him eighth overall in the draft a few years ago they just never really knew how to use him uh, Jared Goff has, has never really relied on tight ends. Even when he was with the Rams, they had all these high-profile receivers and their tight ends never really did much. And the same could be said for, for what they're doing in Detroit. So uh, I, if I'm a Lions fan, I'm frustrated that y- you basically are trading away what was your eighth overall pick, your first, for uh, a couple of late-round or mid-round draft picks. But on the other side, Jamison Williams is about to come off the IR, and they're just a, a, a fast offense that doesn't look to their tight end much. For Minnesota, it's perfect. Uh, Minnesota and Kirk Cousins has always done more with less at tight end. Kyle Rudolph was a Pro Bowl tight end with Kirk Cousins in that offense. Irv Smith was having his best year by far. And now you plug Hawkinson in there, a ground and pound with Dalvin Cook. Uh, I think it. I think it might make the Vikings the best team in the NFC. I'm just not that sold on the Eagles. I think it's a wide open conference I, as it is, and I think the Seahawks, the Seahawks, excuse me, the the uh, Eagles are a very good team. Yep. But they are also a fool's gold good team because they're the only undefeated team in the NFL, and they're winning games convincingly. But they have overwhelmingly the easiest schedule in the NFL. So I I completely agree with that. I think that the Vikings were like one step away last season. And that step ended up being the new head coach that they've hired. So uh, a big time win for them. But there's another trade that uh, I think is like 
pretty relevant that, uh, to our listeners that I wanted to talk about because the Pittsburgh Steelers traded a wide receiver to the Chicago Bears because of, uh, the Bears, part of their struggles is they have this young, talented quarterback in Justin Fields, but he didn't have anybody to really throw to. So the, the Bears acquire Chase Claypool from the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, and the, the Bears are going to get a, a second-round pick for or give a, a second round pick for Chase Claypool. Uh, but uh, Chase Claypool has been really good. He had a really good rookie season, uh, but he's caught 32 passes for a couple hundred yards and a, a touchdown this year for Pittsburgh. Um, and he's just been, he's kind of been the victim of not really having a great quarterback. Yep. Well, you give him a good quarterback and you give that quarterback a good receiver, that's a good decision for both. And I think. For the Steelers' sake, they're clearly building for the future. They are not a good team right now, but they have all these really good young pieces. They have Kenny Pickett, who has potential at quarterback. They've got Najee Harris. They've got a ton of talent on their defense, but their struggles have really come at their their offensive line. So if they can give their quarterback and their running back some blocking, they're going to become the Steelers of old pretty quick. But I think that's a win, again, for both of those teams. The Steelers need to go out and draft offensive linemen with like their first four picks yeah. this draft. I mean, I've never seen a more obvious need. But uh, this was, you know, we talked about this yesterday. And when I saw this, my first thought was, I really think we're on to something with Chicago being a year away. And I know there's a lot of Bears fans all over the country. There's actually quite a few right here in our listening area. This is a huge move for the Bears because you've got two very capable running backs. Justin Fields has has had some of the most time in the pocket. As any quarterback in the NFL this year, he just doesn't have receivers that can get open. And part of that has been just him learning the position and improving his decision-making. But the last two games, he's looked like the quarterback that I thought he could be when the Bears drafted him. And now that they're finally giving him some weapons, because I'm with you, I think Claypool's a, a number one receiver in the NFL. It just has come from a terrible situation. Love this move for Chicago. Breaking news, like almost just a few moments ago, just a few moments ago, Ian Rappaport um, on Twitter, he's the national insider for NFL Network, NFL.com. The Broncos are making another move, trying to kind of make up for the loss of Bradley Chubb. <laughs> They're trading for the Jets pass rusher Jacob Martin, uh, one of several players expected now to fill the void left by Bradley Chubb. Denver's giving up a fourth-round pick in 2024 in exchange for a 2024 fifth-round pick plus Jacob Martin. So that's the that's a good deal in return for the Broncos because not only do they get a guy that fills the void that they lose, but they get more draft picks, which has been like you mentioned just a few minute, minutes ago, that's a need for them as they need just more draft capital. Yep. And that is is a big time help for the Broncos. So I'm glad we got that news literally right before I wrapped up that segment because uh that's that's huge because the Broncos not only making one deal, but they make a second deal building off of that. That's a busy day for the Broncos front office. And clearly now they are, are, are shifting their attention to maybe next year, shifting that calendar back a little bit. Uh, and we'll see what they do the rest of the season. But we know they've been underwhelming, to put it nicely, the first six or seven weeks of this season. But that certainly helps them in terms of building for the future. 
if they are indeed going to stick with the Russell Wilson plan and, and try to make this team um, back into a, a, a contender in the AFC West and, and in the NFL. So well, big-time stuff. Draft capital, draft picks. When we say draft capital, that's what we mean. Draft picks in the NFL in today's game are more valuable than they've ever been. Because more guys, the, the NFL game and the college game used to be so different. And now, sure, it's different in terms of the talent level and the speed of the game. But the NFL is is a lot like college in terms of the schemes and the speed of the game and some of the rules and, and giving the offense, we call it freedom of movement in basketball. You know, a coach that I talked to last week on a press conference or on a, a Zoom call actually told me that today's football is basketball on grass. And I... I Thought that's a really <laughs> good way to put it. It's just up and down, and the NFL is no different. So, uh, what I'm getting at is, you can go get a guy in the third or the fourth round, or like the Chiefs did, build an entire secondary with draft picks and be just fine. So, Denver getting picks is a really good thing, especially with how this season is going. I think it's going to put them in a position next year to maybe have the kind of year that they thought they could have this year. Uh, well, we got to pivot now to talk some college basketball, and we'll talk a little K-State football as well today. Uh, but the Wildcats are opening up their new campaign with an exhibition game tonight uh, under new head coach Jerome Tang. We'll talk about that in our next segment coming up here on 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. The Zone is brought to you by Hometown Outdoor Power, the area's largest power equipment dealer, offering brands like Toro, Grasshopper, Hustler, Kawasaki, and many, many more. If you want to view their full inventory, you can visit them at one of their locations in McPherson, Salina, or in Minneapolis, and you can even do it from the comfort of your own home online. HometownOutdoorPower.com. That's HometownOutdoorPower.com. Calm. Let's talk some hoops, James. I, mean, I know you're fired up. You and I are college basketball fiends, and as much as we love college football, like we're getting excited for basketball season. And K State opens up the Jerome Tang era tonight with an exhibition matchup against Washburn. Should be a clean, fun start to the season. You just get to see this new team finally. The, the on-floor product that we've heard about from Coach Tang and from some certain media members talking about like their super-secret scrimmage last week with S Southern Illinois and all this other stuff. Uh, but we finally get a look at K-State this season with, what what is it, 13 new bodies and two returners, Marquise Noel and Ish Masood. But the Cats taking the floor against a, a Washburn team um, that... It's not terrible. I think last year they they won like 18, 19 games, something like that. It's a decent MIAA team, but K-State should obviously should run away with this one. But uh, K-State teams of the past have not always run away from MIAA teams. Dude, I'm so pumped. And yeah, keep in mind, K-State and Washburn met just a couple of seasons ago, and K-State only won 66-56 to in 2019. That was coming off an Elite Eight year in 2018, so it might not be pretty tonight. I want to preface all this with that. 
And K-State's super secret scrimmage was against Southern Illinois and Coach Tang. The only thing he said about it was that K-State actually trailed at one point in the game and didn't panic. They were able to fight through some adversity and they won the scrimmage by double digits is, is all he said. That can be 10, that can be 19, which is a big difference. But the bottom line is it's not going to be a work of art tonight by any means. Coach Tang said that 10 guys are going to play. I'm just excited to find out which 10, because you can still play guys you play in the redshirt, and it doesn't count because it's an exhibition game. So that means three of their scholarship players are not going to play. Probably some guys that are just nicked up. Maybe Desi Sills is out because he arrived a little bit later than everybody else. But uh, I'm just pumped to see who the 10 are and how they look together. You know, I, I don't really care who plays, right? to, to be honest. Um, just to see a tangible product, it'll be nice to have like a starting point. Because as you mentioned, it's probably not going to be pretty, as most exhibitions aren't, because you're knocking off rust and kind of figuring out what you've been practicing against your own team for the last however many months. But at least here, like now you, you can get a small taste of the skill set of all of these brand new guys because word of mouth is only so good when you bring in an entirely new roster uh, and, and especially when you've got a new roster for K-State of guys that just hadn't quite reached the potential of what was originally thought. Like all these high-level out-of-high-school recruits that just didn't quite take off at their first stop, whether that's Jarrell Colbert or Cam Carter, etc. Plus, Hopefully, if Keontae Johnson plays, you get a look at a guy who hasn't played like in a basketball game since 2020, and there's still all these concerns with his health, although he and, and K-State staff and anyone involved says he's more than healthy and good to go. You still want to see what he looks like having not played in a game in two seasons. So I'm just excited to get just to be able to get my eyeballs on the players and yeah. what it all looks like. And again, knowing full well that this product is going to look vastly different than what K-State will look like in a month, two months from now. Uh, it's just exciting to finally be able to be at this juncture. And I'm going to be there. I am leaving like right now uh, to go watch the Cats and just take it in in person because it's like the only K-State game until like February that I might be able to attend with that uh, trusty media credential of ours. Uh, so I'm going to go take a look at the Cats tonight. Well, I'm excited to, to get your thoughts. I know we'll be texting throughout the game. K-State's played Washburn seven times, all of those since 2006 in the exhibition, so about every other year. And K-State's really only blown them out twice, and it was the first two meetings in 06 and 08. Uh, the last four or five times that they've played, they've been between 10 and 15-point wins for K-State. And like you said, Brett Ballard's the head coach at Washburn, did a phenomenal job with that team last year. They're going to be a, a, a top three or four team in the MIAA this year. Um, K-State, on the other hand, I, I think you're spot on, and you kind of alluded to this, really – What's K-State going to look like? I mean, from a physical standpoint, that those are the things you can tell in an exhibition game. Does this team have height? Do they have uh, athleticism? Are they going to be a run-and-gun, up-and-down team? Are they going to be a grinded-out team? You know, um, But I-, I can remember the two most impressive exhibition wins K-State ever had was uh, early on in Bruce Weber's tenure. It was going into what would have been Marcus Foster and company's sophomore year. K-State had brought in Brandon Bolden from Georgetown yep. to transfer. Uh, they were just stacked on paper, and they beat teams by like 40 and 50 in their exhibition games. 
And then we remember what happened that season. That was the last year of Marcus Foster. K-State didn't even play in the postseason. It just totally imploded. So, you know, I'm sure I'll pop on the air tomorrow and talk about how K-State's going to win the national championship after their exhibition (laughs) showing tonight. Uh, But I might have to pump the brakes a little bit, regardless of how K-State looks. Well, I'm not going to allow you to talk about K-State's national title hopes after a game against Washburn, unless they win by, like, 70. Um I'm just nervous that we'll be popping on the microphones tomorrow and talking about what happened, something similar to what happened to Louisville Don't over the that. weekend, no. who lost to Lenore Rhine, who, by the way, is a Division II school that is not a good Division II school. They won 10 games a season ago and were playing without their top two scores from that 10-win team at the Division II level and still beat the Louisville Cardinals. All right, do you know so, the last time K-State lost an exhibition game? I, I don't know. Don't look it up. In Manhattan. It, well, they're all in in Manhattan. Aren't Not necessarily. They? they played one overseas in 2017 that they lost. That counted as one of their two exhibition games. Oh, I games. didn't know that. Um, Last time they lost in Manhattan exhibition game, 2004. Pretty dang close. 2003. I, see that I knew it was in that era because I remember being like seven, eight, yep. nine years old. Same and here. State was just, just. That was awful. Jim Orridge. Yeah. Yeah. So I figured it was sometime. I think I was at that game. Who do, who was it? The EA Sports that's, All-Stars. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, so my family had season tickets, and one of my like earliest memories is going to a K-State basketball game where they played the EA yeah. Sports All-Stars, and I wish that that was still a thing. I also, while we're on this, and now that I'm a little fired up because I think it's hilarious, <laughs> I miss the good old days when the Harlem Globetrotters used to exhibition teams like if you go back and you look at like the games that the harlem globetrotters have lost which is a rarity because it's rigged you know they came to salina like three years yeah they they, i mean they're still making rounds but like in the mid-2000s they used to play like michigan state and like good college teams in an exhibition like Mm -hmm. in an actual Mm -hmm. basketball Mm -hmm. game and that's one of the handful of games all time that they've lost because again the games they play now are rigged (laughs) but i think they should play teams from the tbt the tournament like k-state plays like the marshall thundering herd team or whatever and then not in as an exhibition (laughs) game how much fun would that be and you're playing against grown men because those those guys are all playing overseas in their off season so it's a little harder to that's fair to organize stuff like that but i definitely see your point um but yeah exhibitions it's nice because kansas and kansas state now and uh largely play like pitt state fort hayes state washburn Mm -hmm. the in-state d2 schools and i think that's good because they've got a lot of of you know in-state fans and people like to see those teams and it's a big deal for those local schools to get that check to come play K-State in an exhibition contest. Uh, but every once in a while, it would be nice to spice it up. Um, Who does K- KU plays this week, too? Yeah, right? they play They play on uh, Thursday Okay, cool. against Pittsburgh State. Yeah. So similar yeah. story um, there. But, yeah, we'll talk some KU hoops on Thursday, especially with Brian Haney, to preview that one as well as KU football. But uh, we got to get to another time out here in just a moment i've got some chris Kleiman audio for us because uh, he met with the media earlier today previewing k-state and texas lots of interesting questions there regarding k-state and and the quarterback controversy yep. uh 
quote unquote now. So we'll we'll talk about that certainly, um, or or he'll talk about that certainly on the other side when the when we will play the audio from Chris Kleiman. That's coming up next here on KSAL. of In the Zone today here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. I am Jackson Schneider, of course. James Wessling was with us earlier. He had to run out and go grab one of his kiddos from school, so he's been excused here early. I'm heading out the door here shortly as well to go check out K-State basketball in their uh, preseason opener, their only exhibition contest uh, before they open the season on Monday night against the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. But tonight, they are hosting Washburn. Uh, That game, again, uh, pregame starts at 6. So right after the conclusion of our show here in just a little bit, pregame will start. Uh, Tip-off is at, I believe, just after 7 o'clock. Uh, So we'll have that. But before we leave you today, uh, Chris Kleiman had his weekly press conference uh, previewing the upcoming opponent. In this case, it's Texas. The Cats will host the Longhorns Saturday night in a big-time matchup. The Cats, with that huge win against Oklahoma State last week, have caught a lot of attention, but have to find a way to do it again. If they can do that again, put themselves firmly in that second slot in the Big 12 standings, boy, oh boy, there is a lot to be excited about. There's a lot of questions, though, that Chris Kleiman will field uh, regarding this K-State team, including a little bit of a controversy now at quarterback. Adrian Martinez has been a little bit banged up, so the Cats played Will Howard, but he's done so well that it warrants the question Who's the quarterback moving forward? But he'll answer that here in just a little bit as you hear from, again, Kansas State head football coach Chris Kleiman. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, uh, Great weekend we had, homecoming. Uh, Great crowd. Crowd was phenomenal. Uh, Hats off to them. They they really helped us uh, on Saturday, and uh, our our guys – uh, really were focused and uh, fed off the crowd and got off to a great start. I thought that was really important for us to get off to the to the great start and and then uh, um, just sustaining that uh, uh, that level of play I thought was really important and uh, I think in all three phases we showed improvement in all three phases we played well at different times uh, and uh, came out with a with a big win. Um, enjoyed it on on Saturday and, and, and part of Sunday, and, and now we got to flip the page. We've got the next one on the docket, and it's uh, Texas, and they're coming off of an open week. And I know they're I know they're extremely well coached. They've got great talent, but uh, uh, they'll have some things for us that we I'm sure haven't seen that uh, we'll have to adapt and adjust to. So I'm excited about uh, uh, the week ahead. I'm excited because we get to play another home game. Um, to play back-to-back home games this late is great. I know we're going to have a, another great crowd. It's going to be a sellout again, um, which uh, I know our guys really appreciate. And uh, it's a night game, so it'll be uh, uh, under the lights. It'll be a lot of fun. We've got a lot of practice to go this week, but <clears throat> if 
What are your thoughts as of now on who will start at quarterback? Um, we'll find out how the week goes. Uh, I don't have that answer now. I, I know that Adrian's closer. Um, I think, you know, Adrian and Daniel Green are the two that, two major ones that missed. Um, and, I, and I know that Daniel Green's closer. And so um, nobody that played in the game on Saturday did we lose. And we're hopeful to have more guys back. Given the way Will's playing, does it change your mathematics on the red shirt or not? And you need to have him probably available to play all the time. Well, it, it we still got to play that out um, based on Adrian's health, based on Will's health. Um, it, it does, uh, but you know it's easy to say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna shelve you," and then maybe something that happens to Adrian and Jake, and you got to pull it or. Adrian's healthy and you can you can hold him. You know, I, I've got a visit with Will about that. I, I know how Will feels um, for now, but I want to make sure he understands the future too. Um, but right now, he's the healthiest guy we have back there uh, of, of the two. And so uh, that's why he knows he's got to stay a viable candidate. Daniel's closer and was, does the defense function any differently with Daniel out there as opposed to Nick, who played a really good game? No, it just um, it gives us more depth there, and we'll play both of them. Uh, where, honestly, where it hurts us is to take Nick Allen off of special teams because he's one of our core guys that runs the show on special teams. He's one of our leading tacklers. He sets up the kick returns. He does everything. Uh, and when Daniel doesn't play, we have to protect Nick. And so that's the biggest thing is, uh, you know, though Nick will play more than he typically does, whether Daniel can play some or not, but it's just trying to make sure, hey, you're going to run down on kickoff or you're going to be on punt. Is Will playing so well right now that you have to consider playing him regardless of how Adrian's feeling? Um, you know, the, potentially, yeah. He's played a couple of, you know, he played a really good game at, at TCU um, uh, without taking the reps of the of the of the ones and then uh, played really well on Saturday so it's something that we're considering everything right now uh, and, and we have to because we still have uh, a good grind of this season left and and obviously the health is going to be the number one part of that one more QB question then I'll yeah. go somewhere else but is, is could you see platooning those guys if they were both good to go could you it would be something that we would look at but based on what we're trying to maybe do with Will, maybe not do with Will, I wouldn't want him to play 15 plays and lose a year. When you mentioned Texas coming off a bye week, anytime you play somebody coming off a bye week, how much more research do you do kind of thinking, like you said, what they might yeah. throw at you that you haven't seen before? Well, um, you, you look at things that have hurt you both sides of the ball and say, okay, they've got to attack us here because this team did or – even though we didn't get hurt by this, boy, if I were somebody, and we, we look at that a lot, boy, if I were somebody, this is how I would attack us. And we have to think of it that way and realize that they have a, a lot of good coaches um, and people behind the scenes that are looking at stuff all the time that we have to make sure and um, shore up the things that uh, we need to, we know we've had issues with, and then uh, as well as come up with new game uh, game plans, but not reinvent the wheel. We can't. We've got to do what we do both sides of the ball still. Coach, I want to ask you about two young guys, Jake Clifton and Jacob Parrish, played a lot of snaps on Saturday. How much have they helped your team this season? Yeah, I'm glad you asked about both those guys. It was fun to see 
Uh, let's hit Jacob Parrish first. We knew we were going to play him uh, all along uh, throughout the season on special teams and then uh, take some snaps at corner just to help us um, because Echo and Julius we knew. And we've got Omar Daniels and we've got some guys there, but we wanted to make sure that uh, um, we had somebody ready to go so we didn't have an issue with Jacob saying, boy, do we play him this game or not. Then we played him a little bit at nickel last week um, in part because we knew we lost Khalid for a half, so we needed another player to play that position. So he's he's given us so much, and it's given some of those corners a break, and he's playing really well on special teams. Had a really good block on Phillips' uh, long return. Then Jake Clifton, early on in the season, he was one of those guys, well, we're going to play four games and, and probably not not have many more. Then we lost some linebackers uh, off the roster that, that couldn't play anymore. Um, and through... Daniel Green's injury through Khalid's injury. Just we had so many guys getting nicked up that we just said, he's one of our best special teams guy. Let's play him. And then, unfortunately, as, as I told you guys on Saturday, we lost Bo Palmer, so that moved him inside. And you say, well, you got Daniel Green back. Well, he's good enough to play all three spots. He could play the Sam Mike or Will. He's that smart of a kid, which is really rare for a freshman Plus, he's playing well on special teams. And you guys saw on Saturday, he runs the football and tackles well, so he's gaining confidence. I want to ask you about the offensive line as well. Um, they seem to be playing at a really high level right now. Yeah, they really are. Uh, credit to those guys. Uh, credit to Coach Riley. Um, but I just see those five guys working together really well. That's a really good front from Oklahoma State, and, and I thought our guys uh, really r rose up and played well, and they're taking care of their bodies. We're trying to take care of them during the week because, um, you know, with TP down and stuff, we're not playing as many guys, and, and those five guys um, are, are really carrying us right now offensively, and, and they kept uh, Will pretty clean and, and Deuce Rush for close to 160 yards, so um, I'm proud of those guys. Probably because he was targeted a little bit, so we saw it more. But was that one of the better gains we've seen from Echo Boydo? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he had a couple of PIs, and that's going to happen. I'd rather have him play it aggressively. Um, but I thought he played well, and they went after him. And he stood up to the challenge. And uh, it was fun to see for Echo. And uh, Echo wants to be challenged. And the way we play defense and, and as good as teams are rushing the football and quarterback run game and stuff, you guys see it as well when people play us. There's just a lot more man coverage out there. You just can't sit in soft zones all the time anymore. And so you're going to put a lot of pressure on your corners. That's why we're, we're fortunate to have the older guys we have at, in Echo and Juju. Since the beginning of Big 12 play, is there a player or a position group that jumps out to you that's probably improved the most for your team? Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people playing really well. I, I go back to that offensive line, the consistency of the offensive line. Uh, is is where you got to look at. And then uh, just the amount of guys we're playing on the defensive line is keeping Felix and keeping Nate and Mott and Eli and all those guys pick, all those guys healthy because they're not having to play 45, 55 plays a game. They're in that 20 to 30 play a game because we're rotating so many guys. And so just our depth there is really helping us. And Bijan Robinson, quite a talent in the backfield. What's I guess what's the hardest part about stopping him? The, the fact you're going to have some one-on-one -on -one tackles, and you you need to have more people to the to the ball carrier. You need to find ways to vice tackle him, which is hard because then you're going to be one-on-one -on -one with the wide receiver or, or tight end, and um, you know it's just. Uh, 
we've got to do a great job of gang tackling and you can't give up on the play. You can't think, well, this guy's probably got him because he might not. And uh, he's a really special player, great talent. And uh, I think if there's one thing I'd say, just watching Texas, they do as good a job as anybody that we've played as far as we're getting our best players the football, and we're going to make sure that you have to defend our best players for four quarters from sideline to sideline, whether it's the wide receiver to the tight end to, to the running back, um, getting touches everywhere. Again, that was Kansas State head football coach Chris Kleiman from his press conference with the media earlier this afternoon. Uh, in case you want to see or hear the entire press conference. Usually those run about a half hour in length. That was just about a snip of of close to nine minutes, 10 minutes or so of it. But uh, if you want to hear the full thing, you can go to KSAL.com, click the sports news tab. It is posted in the story uh, from K-State Athletics. So there's links to the video, to the audio, everything that you need, full transcripts, all that fun stuff. So uh, again, Just check it out at KSAL.com under the Sports News tab. Again, uh, Kansas State basketball coming up for the first time this fall uh, here as soon as we wrap up the show, which is really right now. They're hosting the Washburn Ichabods in their lone exhibition contest before they start the season. But new era of Kansas State basketball under head coach Jerome Tang kicking off momentarily. But uh, again, if you missed anything from today's show, NFL trade deadline stuff, uh, our talks about K-State basketball, uh, any of that Chris Kleiman audio, be sure to check it out on our Spotify page. Just search In The Zone on KSAL. For James Westling, I am Jackson Schneider. We'll be back tomorrow at 5.15 right here on In The Zone on Sports Radio, 1150 KSAL and 106.7 FM. Hey, hey, hey.